Well, this sermon title this morning is uh, uh, part three of, of a series I've been doing on the church, a study of the church. And I'll probably do one more next week. We'll talk about maybe, maybe talk about church membership and then maybe one more talking about the ordinances or I might mix those together. I haven't decided. I've got a list of things I'm trying to touch on and just seeing how much I can get in uh, in, in one sermon. But uh, the sermon title is what uh, does the church do or what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? So I'm going to tell you a story and I hope I don't offend any of y'all that are particularly sensitive. But uh, there was a woman who was going to go on a, a camping trip. And so she and her husband were going to stay at a campground. And she was trying to figure out what to pack, what she needed to bring, how she was going to prepare for this camping trip. She wasn't a lady that normally uh, did anything outdoors. And so she decided to write the manager of the campground, and she wanted to ask him if they had a potty there at the campground. And so she was trying to think of the most delicate way in her letter to ask if there was a toilet. And so she wrote, is there a toilet? Well, that sounds crude, and so she crossed it out. And then she decided to say, is there a bathroom commode there? And she wrote that out in the letter, and she thought that was too crude. And so she just shortened it. She abbreviated it. Do you have a BC? Do you have a BC? Well, the guy at the campground gets this letter asking if their campground has a BC. And so he doesn't know what that means. And so he's walking around and he's asking the other people that are staying at the camp, what do you think she means here? Do, do you have a BC? Because he didn't understand she was asking if there was a commode. Well, he decided that what she was asking for was whether or not they had a Baptist church at the campground. And so when he figured that out, he wrote her back and he said, Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter. But I now take pleasure of informing you uh, that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite <laughs> and is capable of seating 250 people <laughs> at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away if you're in the habit of going regularly. <laughs> but no doubt you'll be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded that we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats. They plan to hold the supper right in the middle of the B.C. so everyone can watch and talk about this great event. I would love to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it's... It's not, surely not for a lack of desire on my part. See, I can tell who likes what kind of humor just reading you this story. <laughs> it's not for a lack of desire on my part. As we go, grow older, it seems to be more and more of an effort, <laughs> particularly in cold weather. Now, if you decide to come down to the campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time and sit with you <laughs> and introduce you to all the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. So I'm not sure how she would have reacted receiving that letter. <laughs> but aren't you glad there are big differences between a bathroom commode and a Baptist church? Uh, I am. But I was thinking about this illustration. It, it's goofy, but it came to mind, this story I've, I've heard before. But you know what's one thing? Nobody ever questions the purpose of a toilet. You ever thought about that? When you see a toilet 
and you see a toilet sitting on the side of the road, you, you, you never think, I wonder what that is. I wonder what people use, use that for. You know, it has a definite purpose. When you go into the hardware store, you know they've got like tape over those things because people, they're afraid they're going to just use them right there in the hardware store. I've seen those like, do not use this. And you think, golly, that would be really odd. But it, you can just see a kid. He's in the early stages of potty training, just jumping up there. And hey, there's a toilet. Everybody learns pretty quickly the purpose of a toilet. But you know, sadly, we don't always understand what the purpose of the church is. You know, and uh, we don't really all, we, we don't want our church to be like a toilet. We would certainly say that's true. But we do want to understand when we see the church, when we understand that we are the church, we want to know what is the purpose. We need to understand what is the purpose and to be certain of the purpose of the church. Now, we've talked about what a true church is. Last week, we looked at why the local church is essential in the life of a believer. And today I want us to understand the purpose of the church. And there really are many things that the church does that would be considered the purpose of the church. Discipleship, equipping, evangelism, fellowship, instruction, prayer, ordinances, worship service, uh, serving others, loving other people, spiritual support. And we could probably come up with more things we could add to the list. But today I would like for us to see the purposes of the church as those are illustrated for us in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you or take one from the pew in front of you. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to see in these verses three major purposes emerge as Luke is describing what we would call like the, the church in its infancy or the, the immediate, the immediate post-Pentecost church. After, so this is Acts chapter 2. We know in Acts chapter 2 is when Peter stands up and the Holy Spirit falls on the people. The tongues of fire come down. The people hear the gospel in their own language. And many are added that day. The people are pricked to their heart. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. This is a promise for you. It's a promise for your children. He shares the gospel with them. And that day they add 2,000 to the church. So the church goes from about our size to a mega church in one day. And then they're meeting there at Solomon's uh, portico on the porch there. They're all gathering. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we have a description of what they were doing and what church looked like in those very, very early days of the church. I think there are three major purposes that emerge as we look at how Luke describes the church. So I'll just tell you the three purposes that we'll see in our scripture now. Number one, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. Number one, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. Number two, the purpose of the church is to demonstrate how amazing God is. To demonstrate it, to show God's astounding, amazing awesomeness, or however you might want to say that. And then number three, to minister to those in need. So when we think about what we do as a church, when it comes to budget time, when it comes to calendar planning, I hope you do as I do to always try to run it through the filter of these purposes. Especially purpose number one is what we're planning going to help make disciples does this make disciples does this demonstrate to people what god is like 
And are we ministering to people in their greatest needs, both spiritually and physically? That's what the church does. That's the purpose of the church. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the first thing they did, which is why one of the main things we do when we come here to church is we have a study hour called Sunday School where we study what? The Bible. We study the apostles' teaching. We study today John's writings. Uh, they studied the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. teaching. They devoted themselves to the ministry of the word that was being given to them by the leaders of the church. They were devoted or they were steadfast. They were steadfastly devoted to the apostles' teaching, word ministry. And then to the fellowship. To the fellowship and the breaking of bread together. So there were these glorious truths that they were learning from the apostles about who God is, what God is like, what Christ had done in the gospel, how the big story from Genesis all the way to where they were right then was pointing toward Christ. As the apostles uh, taught them from the Bible, as the apostles were teaching them, as they were led by the Holy Spirit with their apostolic authority, they had these great truths, and then they braided those truths into their everyday life, fellowship, and eating together. And then, finally, the prayers. They were steadfastly devoted to the Word. They were steadfastly committed to each other. And they were steadfastly devoted to the Lord in prayer. In prayer. When we think of that word devoted, another, another way to talk about that is steadfast, as I've said a couple of times. What does steadfast mean? The church was steadfastly committed to the Word, to each other, to the Lord. That means they stuck with it. They stuck with it. They continued. They persisted. They didn't quit. They were devoted to the apostles' teachings about Jesus, about the gospel going into all the world. They were disciple makers. The first purpose of the church that we could see here is that they were making disciples and they were being made into disciples. So then we ask the question, what is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Christ. A disciple is someone who learns Christ. That means you learn to think and you learn to do like Jesus. When we make disciples, we're making people who act and think like Christ. And that's really hard to do if the only time that you come to be made into a disciple is one or two hours a week. Because the world can get a hold of your ear. So I've got your ear now for about 30 minutes. How, how, many, how many hours will the TV have your ear? Or your phone be able to capture your imagination and your thoughts? Or your television? Or people at work? What kind of worldview are you receiving from all those places? Is the world affecting you more than the message from God's Word every week? Because it's very easy for that world to get a hold of your ear. And all sorts of messages come at you, but they have one thing in common. When the world is sending you a message, it's trying to teach you that you should be the Lord of your life, not Jesus. When you come in here, it's just the opposite. 
And that's why when we come to church, sometimes it's hard for us because we're hearing all these, we're hearing conflicting messages. We're hearing a message all week that says, you're number one. And we come into church and we're confronted with the reality, no, I'm not number one. Jesus is number one. He is the Lord. This week, or last week, I saw something online, and I don't normally, I just, I was really just curious. So y'all know the actor Matthew McConaughey. Did anybody see on Facebook that he was like having a, a conference? He held a, a uh, webinar, and it was him and Tony Robbins and a couple of other people that I didn't know who they were, but they were apparently kind of self-help gurus. And it was called The Art of Living with McConaughey. All right, all right, all right, right? <laughs> the Art of Living with McConaughey, just doing cool stuff, y'all. So you know how he was selling it, and I thought, I wonder how Matthew McConaughey is going to tell people to live. I'm signing up for this thing. So I signed up for Matthew McConaughey's Art of Living, and it didn't make me feel any cooler. It was kind of disappointing. But I, I watched some of it, some of the Tony Robbins part and some of the Matthew McConaughey of his talks. They had a replay, and you could go back and watch it. That was the day we went, took Adelaide down to go look at uh, College Station. But I listened a little bit on the way back and, and then followed up with it and some recaps of Matthew McConaughey's. And you know what Matt, Matthew McConaughey's second message, so to speak, was? It was about being selfish. Being selfish. He was telling the people, 2.5 million people tuned in all over the world to listen to Matthew McConaughey tell them how to live. And the message that he concluded with was, you need to be more selfish. Not kidding. He said, if you don't put yourself first, now tell me though, is this not worldly thinking? I mean, it wasn't like, he, I mean, it was, some of the stuff was pretty much Captain Obvious. Most of the stuff you read in self-help books is. He said, if you're not selfish, and you're not taking care of you, how can you take care and help anybody else? But doesn't that just sound like the message the world sends at us? Oh, you got to take care of yourself first. You got to make yourself number one. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't help anybody else. You're no good to anybody else if you're not taken care of. That's what our culture teaches us. That's what all the psychobabble and all the therapy and Dr. Phil and Oprah and all the self-help books and their shelves and shelves of them. And it's really easy to swallow that. Do you have a hard time receiving a teaching that tells you that you're number one? No, you like it. That goes down easy. Oh, really? I can put myself first ahead of all these other people that have needs? I'll do that. Our flesh wants permission to make it all about us. That's what our flesh is looking for. Make it all about you. You be in control. Look out for number one. But the church is here to preach another message. The gospel message, the message of the cross, and putting yourself in first place is not what cross-bearing looks like, if you didn't understand that. The Bible doesn't say, when you're strong, you can help weak people. The Bible says, when you are weak, He is strong. When you're fully trusting in the Lord, when you're emptied out, then you can be used. When you yield yourself to Christ, then you can be an instrument in His hands. And when you are surrendered to him, then he can use you for his purposes in this world to help other people. Never tells you to put yourself in first place. It says empty yourself out. When you're weak is when you can be of service to the king. 
when you take up your cross and deny yourself. How do we do that? Well, this is where fellowship and breaking bread come into play, isn't it? Christianity is a whole life prospect. Are there any part-time disciples of Jesus? Is that ever such a thing? No. It's a whole life system. It's a whole life uh, way of looking at the world and, and everything around us. That's what Christianity is. So the fellowship and the breaking of bread are showing us that in this early church, their lives, their relationships, even their taking of meals was weaving together their, their church life, their religion, their faith, however you would want to say that. Uh, was weaving together the, the doctrine and the truths that they were learning with their ordinary life. Even the most basic things is eating lunch. And they were fellowshipping together. They were in such a community. And what does that bring when you can really talk to one another because you've gotten past the formalities? If I really know you and you really know me, are you going to be afraid that you're going to offend me? Probably not. Now, the people that we don't know so well, it's hard for us to walk up to them and say, man, are you really, do you think that's the right way to think about that? Or do you think that's, a, that's the right move or whatever it could be? But if you really know somebody, you can talk it out, can't you? There's accountability there where you can say, hey, I'm not so sure that that was the best thing to do, brother. You know, And you do that in love and because you're fellowshipping and breaking bread and you're in a community and you're holding one another accountable because you love one another, you're able to do that. That's what they had in the early church. They had that kind of community. Even though it was huge, they were living a common life. And what happens when people are hearing the truth and living a common life? Well, what happens is revival. And what happens when there's a revival? People begin to love prayer. They begin to develop a love for the Lord where they want to spend time with Him in prayer. That's very convicting to me. Isn't it convicting to you? If God is moving like God was moving in Acts chapter 2, what are the people committed to? Truth, each other, and prayer. Truth, each other, and the Lord through prayer. And they had a desire to spend time with their Savior. They had a desire to go do the things perhaps they had done as Jews. But now they understood what was really happening. When they went into that temple to pray, they understood what it was all about. And they would go together to pray. They would be together to eat. They would be together to hear the teachings. And what happens whenever people are committed to the truth and committed to fellowship and committed to prayer? Disciple making. And you know what Jesus told us? He said, go into all the world. Remember, it's a very simple task that we have as a church. That's why this is the number one purpose. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what? There's another part of that great commission. Do you remember what it is? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. That's what he's told us to do. That's disciple making. Spreading the gospel. And then when someone's saved, when they believe, you don't just quit there after you baptize them. You teach them to be obedient. You teach them what it means to follow Jesus Christ. To make disciples. And does that mean that we need to go around and be unhealthy in our emotions or our thoughts and just continue? You know, does that mean we don't ever need to think about how we care for ourselves or take rest? No. That doesn't, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that if you need help that you shouldn't get help and that you're doing something wrong with that. But what I'm saying, but, I, you know, but here's what I feel about that. 
is nobody is feeling that way. You know? Nobody's feeling that way. Uh, nobody's feeling like they don't take care of themselves enough. That's just the reality. I mean, we're, we don't have any trouble putting ourselves first. But the gospel gives us a different impulse to put Christ first, to put others ahead of ourselves, to make disciples. Second purpose, look at verse 43. As they were doing this, and as people were observing the church, Luke tells us that awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Kind of going back to verse 42 there. But what happened when, the, when God started moving and saving people? What was the gospel's effect? Is that in Jerusalem, to the people that saw it and to the people who heard about it, all came upon every soul. Take your uh, Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite things that, if you've been to the new member class, this is one of my favorite things to point out when we talk about what is the purpose of the church. Because there actually is a place in, in Ephesians chapter 3 where we are told what God's purpose for the church is. So if you ever wonder, what, is, what does the Bible say about the purpose? There's a very explicit verse that tells us the purpose of the church. So we'll start in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, speaking to the Ephesians, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, he says, he was made a minister of the gospel by the power of God to him, even though he said, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. And what was Paul's job going to be? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, my job was to share that God has finally, in Jesus Christ, brought the plan for salvation, what he's been working out this whole time, it's been brought to light. And he's going to share that with everyone this thing that this gospel message that had been hidden here as a mystery, just a mystery means something not revealed. It had not been revealed. It had been hidden for ages, but now it's being brought to light, and I'm the one taking it out there and giving the Gentiles this light. And God had been, it had been hidden in God who created all things, but now it's been ma uh, uh, manifest so that, look at verse 10, here's the point, so that through the church... Here's God's purpose. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. What is the church? What's the purpose of the church? Is to display the wisdom of God. The multifaceted, multidimensional wisdom of God. When people see the church, our job is to show people how wise God is. Or if we can look at verse 43 back in our text. To astound them. For them to become uh, in awe of what God is and what He's doing. But it's interesting that here it doesn't say that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known uh, to just everybody in Alney or something like that. <clears throat> look, look at where this is aimed. 
that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, so it's such an interesting idea to think that when we come to church and whenever we function as the church, when we do what we're called to do, the purpose is to amaze the angels. That the, that, the wisdom, that the angels would see what God is doing through the church and they would say, God, you are so wise. You are so amazing. You are so wonderful. Now think about what all the angels have seen. The angels were there when he created everything. The angels were there when he put the stars into place and he put the planets into place. The angels were there when he created Adam and Eve. The angels were there when he kicked them out of the garden. The angels were there and they saw when he made the covenant with Abraham. The angels were there when the, they walked across the Red Sea on dry land. The angels saw all the miracles. The angels saw everything. But God's purpose in showing those angels how wise he is, is the church. Where they would look at us, a bunch of people who are sinners, a bunch of people who like to be putting ourselves in first place, a bunch of people that are different. Some have more money than others. Some have less money than others. Some come from different places. Some have different jobs. All these things. All these very different people who are prone to use one another. But he turns us into people who serve one another and who serve him. And when he, they see, because they know what humans are like. They know how selfish we are. They know how evil we are. And yet when the church is functioning like this, like we see in Acts chapter 2, the angels say, oh boy, Father, you've really outdone yourself. Amazing. God, you, you are so wise that you are able to make those people, and we know what they're like, and you turned them into this. And that shows them the manifold wisdom of God. So you didn't know what you were doing when you came here this morning, right? But someone says, what did y'all do at church today? Well, we uh, displayed the manifold wisdom of God to angels and authorities in heaven. Now that gives you a different purpose, doesn't it? We weren't just singing songs and making color sheets with the kids in the nursery. Even that nursery work, when we serve those little ones, is displaying the wisdom of God. When we love one another, when we fellowship with one another, when we make disciples, when we spend time together in prayer, it's amazing, those angels and authorities in heaven. And it's amazing uh, to other people that, that witness it. And they say, wow, this church is something else. And awe comes on every soul as it did in chapter uh, 2, verse 43. So the purpose of the church is to make disciples. The purpose of the church is to show people what God is like, how amazing He is, how wise He is, to demonstrate that wisdom to all in heaven and on the earth. And then finally, the purpose of the church is to minister to those in need. Look what it says in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were consistent, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were generous as they gave. They were generous as they received. And they were praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were making disciples. They were demonstrating the wisdom of God. And they were meeting needs, weren't they? 
Part of what was appealing to the people that were being saved was this meeting of needs, this way that the gospel was affecting the people who were putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and following Him. A big part of what the church does is helping those in need, meeting needs. What kinds of needs do we meet? Well, there are physical needs and there are spiritual needs. And the church shows how to give generously and as we see here, they were receiving their food with generous hearts. We can even receive generously. We need to be glad and generous people as we are helping people in needs, both physical and spiritual. So, physical needs. I hope everyone understands that one of the things that we covenant together to do when we join this church is to help one another when someone has a need. If someone is, needs something, and how many times has this been true? that you call someone in the church, uh, I, I need help, and they come, and they help you, and they uh, can meet a physical need. Uh, even yesterday, there was a, a young man who put up on Facebook, and they said, uh, this guy said, I, I, need, I need some food. I don't have any food. And I've got my, my daughters visiting in town, and, and uh, I need food. And a couple of our church members saw that and went and took them food. Just doing what Christians do, right? And then other people were put on there whenever people have needs. I don't, I need, I don't, I can't do this, I can't do this. I'm not trying to toot our own horn here, but I always think it's amazing whenever people say, I need, I need, I need this or that, to how many people respond in the comments on Facebook, have you called First Baptist? You know, we have a reputation that we help people. And it's strange, we have such a reputation for helping people at First Baptist Church and being generous. Again, not trying to toot our own horn, even though y'all are the greatest. But the... <laughs> People from Wichita Falls call down here to get help. And sometimes we help them. And we say, well, did you call First Baptist Wichita Falls? Did you call this church and this church? I called all the churches. They said to call y'all. And I think, oh, man, that's great. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, the word will get out that we're helping people here. And that we'll, they'll come in and try to get help for uh, food or uh, paying an electricity bill or whatever it is. And we'll say, hey. We're going to give you this 10 gallons of gas, but don't tell anybody we did it. And what they do is they go back and tell everybody. And then everybody wants gasoline. And uh, so, because there's a lot of needs, and people need a lot of help. You know, I'm glad that, that even though, and I'm sure there are many times that we get taken advantage of on that. People come in, they tell you a story and all this. But you know, God knows our heart in that. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church where we set aside a good chunk of money every single year just to help people, not even members of our church. Now, for members of our church, it's kind of a different situation. We handle that a little bit differently when we have needs in the church, but especially for people that come from outside the church, uh, we, have a, we have a committee that will sit down and meet with those people and go over there. In, and we're not just helping them like, oh, here's a handout. We sit down with them. We make them fill out a, a sheet that tells us their budget. So we know where all the money is being spent that they're getting. So we see if they have a spending problem. Do they have an income problem? So you can maybe just give someone money. Is that really always meeting their need? And sometimes they just need to see things or get some counsel in a different way. And we have people on Wednesday nights that will sit down patiently and in a loving way with people. They'll, they'll talk to them about their finances, see if we can help, and then pray for them. And that's a way that the church meets needs. Okay, it's a physical meeting of needs. And then, of course, we understand whenever people have babies or their surgery and we get the meal trains together. And I mean, this church, y'all do so great about reaching. I always say, 
We're so good at reaching, meeting physical needs at First Baptist Only, where I really think our focus needs to be is how do we meet the spiritual needs? Because there are different kinds of needs, right? It's so much easier. You know, it's pretty easy to meet the, the, the physical needs. The spiritual needs are harder. But here's the thing that we have to always remember as we as a church are meeting spiritual needs. We have the one thing that's secured everything. We have the one thing that's secured everything. What we can offer someone is an elixir that will touch every single area of their life. What is that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we get people in and we will sort of analyze them and say, well, you're this, or, you're, you know, someone will come in and say, I have an anger problem, you know, coming for, for counsel. I have an anger problem. I have this problem. I have this problem. I have this problem. And things are dysfunctional. They're not working in their life. They, their relationships are a mess, and, and things are falling apart. And you know what the answer always is? It sounds like Sunday school, doesn't it? But the answer is always Jesus, you know? But it's really hard. It's so hard when people come in and they sit down. And when the answer that you're giving them is, you need to give your life 100% to Christ. You need to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they hear that, they say, I don't want to hear a bunch of Bible verses. They want to hear some kind of magic bullet that's going to make everything better to where they can be the Lord of their life, but everything's going to work out fine. And it doesn't work that way. A lot of times the answer is just repentance. It's just saying, you know what, I've been going my own way and it's not working out. I'm turning around and I'm going to follow and do God's way. Because it's only really usually two ways, right? You're either doing it God's way or you're doing it your own way. But the principle here is that we need to help one another. The principle is not sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Uh, remember at this time, they, weren't, they, they really believed that Jesus was going to come back any minute now. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, uh, hey, uh, you know, y'all are worried about people falling asleep. They were saying, people are dying. What's, what's going to happen to their souls? Because they thought Jesus is going to come back next week. I told you that before. My mom, whenever she took out my student loans in college, she was like, don't worry. Jesus will come back before those are due. <laughs> but I paid him off. <laughs> he tarried. Uh, but, but they were certain that Jesus was just coming back any minute now, so they're in Jerusalem. They started to sell everything. Of course, they wound up destitute, and Paul had to take up an offering for them after they began, became persecuted. Uh, they were in such dire straits that the other churches had to give there to the mother church in Jerusalem. So the mindset eventually developed in the church that what do we need to do? We need to prepare like Jesus could come back right now. You ever just sit there and think about that? You ever sit there and think, what if I'm just sitting right here where I am? It's a fun experiment to do. Like, I'm sitting here at CeCe's Pizza, you know, eating way too much pizza. What if I heard that, what if I heard that trumpet right now? (laughs) Would I be doing what I want to be doing when that trumpet sounds? So we should always be doing what we want to be doing when that trumpet sounds. We should all be prepared for Jesus to come back now. But we also need to be prepared that what if he doesn't come back for 100 years? And so we want to work hard. And we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be able to help other people that are in need. So that's kind of the attitude that over time the church has really developed. But the principle is, do what it takes to meet needs. And it's so hard for me to, to meet all the needs. I can't individually meet the needs. But you know what? God set it up to where as a church we can help meet each other's needs. And we can help meet the needs even of those that are outside of our church. And of course, that takes different forms. That looks like different things in Olney than it does at a, at a church that's in Ukraine right now or a church that's in China right now. But the principle is the same. The church is here to meet people's needs. 
Not just physical, but spiritual. So in the end, what can we say? The purpose of this church is to make disciples, to show people what God is like, and to meet needs using the one solution that we have for all things, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So people can be forgiven, and so they might have a relationship with their creator. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, I don't know that. I don't know God's forgiveness. I'm not a disciple. But maybe you want to be one. Maybe when you've been at this church and you've seen this church and you've seen the way God's people are changed by God and all is upon you and you're saying, I want some of that. I want to know what it's like to have peace with God. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of everything falling apart and I don't know any of the answers. The invitation is open to you. Come to Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who, as we studied in Sunday school, drank the cup of God's wrath for us so that God is no longer, when you put your faith and trust in the Lord, God's wrath, which is resting on you, is taken off of you. It's averted. So right now the wrath of God is aimed directly at you, unbeliever. But if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Christ is appropriated to you, and it's just as though Jesus took that wrath for you, which is what he was doing on the cross. But it gets even better than that. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, not only does God's wrath turn toward Jesus and turn away from you, but Jesus takes that perfect righteous life that he lived. He takes the, his righteousness and he puts that into your account. So one day when you stand before God, because it's appointed for every person to die, and then what? A judgment. And when you stand before God to be judged as to whether you perfectly followed his law, whether you were perfect, when you stand before him, you know and I know you're not going to stand there perfect. But thankfully, when Jesus has put his righteousness into your account, when God judges you, you won't be judged based upon your righteousness. You'll be judged based upon the righteousness of Christ. And that's how you're going to be acceptable to God. So what are you trusting when I say put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You're trusting that Jesus is going to get you there. That the work of Jesus is going to be the work that gets you to heaven, not your own works. What you're having to say when you put your faith and trust in Jesus is, I don't have anything to offer. <clears throat> That's why you can't be saved by your own works, because being saved is the admission that you can't do anything. It's just you saying, I have nothing to offer here except my sin. That's really the only thing you contributed to the whole gospel message, is that you're a sinner. And what did God contribute? A Savior. A Savior. Because God so loved this world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise for you. So we want to be a disciple-making church. If you want to be a part of a disciple-making church, you've got to be a disciple first. So let's make disciples. Let's love one another. And let's commit ourselves to spending time with the Lord. Let's pray.